Hello, everybody. Welcome to, uh, to the venue. We're glad you're with us on a Wednesday night. I was thinking, it was funny, too. I kept, this weekend, I kept telling Doug, announce to people why all these things are up here on the stage. Because I was thinking a visitor would come in and think we were some sort of spaceship group or something. <laughs> I've heard from the mothership. <laughs> and they're coming soon. <laughs> he was like, and they're going to know. I'm like, what if it's somebody that's never been here before? And there's a lot of those people here, pretty much. And, I, you know, especially on weekends. I said, they'll think it's good. So, and if, if you didn't know, this is all for Fall Festival, okay? It's a Star Wars theme, Fall Festival. It's going to be really good. Lots of lots of work have been going into this. So anyway, um, I wanted to announce that for you on the video, if you tune in and wonder why it looks like there's a Starship console behind me. That's why. That's not normal. <laughs> I can just see the clip. Okay, um, so we are in Exodus uh, 23. We're working our way through the Old Testament, and um, chapter at a time. We did the New Testament a chapter at a time, and uh, we got through that in five years. Now we're working our way through the book of Exodus. Exodus is a fascinating book, and we, um, we've, we, uh, we've seen, I said, the things to focus on are the uh, the Passover and really the the events leading up to the Passover were you know the first 14 chapters or so and then the parting of the Red Sea which was a big deal we've looked at that and then the last two big parts of the Exodus that we're going to look at in the book are the giving of the law and the tabernacle and so right now we've been talking about giving the giving of the law and we talked about the law of God which is the Ten Commandments and now we're looking at in these chapters um, it's either referred to as the Law of Moses or the Book of the Covenant. And these are specific laws um, given to the community of God's holy people that was now being established. And these laws are specific in how they're to relate to one another. And so this chapter, um, 23, it will deal primarily with sort of interpersonal relationships between members of this covenant community. And in their dealings with one another, they're supposed to be honest, fair, kind, um, and completely above board in all of their business sort of transactions and their social lives. Uh, and, um, and so they were to be committed to a mutual helpfulness. They were supposed to be courteous and respectful because these were the things that should characterize a holy people. Now remember, part of their whole deal is God's holy people is they'd be a witness to the world around them about what this looked like. And so they were supposed to deal with one another in a way that reflected that whole process. And as we dig in here, you'll see the, the first sort of eight verses are um, um, an amplification, if you would, of the ninth commandment about not um, speaking falsehoods at all. And then there's a section in the middle of the chapter about observing the feasts. Uh, and how um, we'll, see, we'll hear how he's instructing his people to celebrate the weekly Sabbath by refraining from work and uh, even introducing the idea of a sabbatical year. Um, every seventh year, they were supposed to give the fields and the crops and everything basically a break for a year. Everything would be allowed to rest. And then he's going to introduce the idea of um, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles um, in this chapter. And um, then he's going to talk about, um, he's going to lead them and they need to follow. And he's going to send an angel to be in this process. 
And this angel that he's speaking of, um, we're going to see, is uh, something that's known as a um, Christophany. It was an appearance of Christ prior to the incarnation. And that happens at times in the Old Testament. All right? And so um, that's, that's who's going to show up and be a part of this process prior to the incarnation. So that's the angel that's being spoken of. And then um, we're going to see... Um, how that's supposed to work out, you know, uh, fascinating what's going to happen is the, um, so the Israelites are going to be where they've been now, we've been talking about at Sinai for about 11 months, and then they were, they're going to take a journey to Kadesh Barnea where they were supposed to enter the land, and that's when it would have started, like a year in, they would have gone in, taken the promised land, but they don't trust God in the claiming of their inheritance, and so then they have to go on this journey in the wilderness, until everybody in generation 20 years old and older, 20 years and over dies. And so only the people who didn't disobey or didn't trust God can go in. So it takes 40 years basically, 38 plus, to, for that whole generation to pass on in the travels. And then everybody who was 20 years or younger at the time of this disobedience is then allowed to go in, except for Joshua and Caleb who are older because they said let's go when the time comes. So you'll see that coming up. Um, but, but understand, so this 40 years is because they refused to obey. Otherwise, they'd have been in in a year. One year, he had them set up, introduced the stuff they needed to know. Come on, let's go. We're going to take the land. And they went, no. And so it takes this whole other process for them to learn what's going to happen. And, um, and he begins to stake out the claims of how big this land is going to be. Uh, and and um, eventually, with Joshua, Joshua, when Joshua goes in, so after that takes place in 40 years, just giving you a little heads up. When Joshua goes in, it takes him about seven years to conquer the land. And um, with some, some mop-up stuff afterwards. And that's what it took. And then by uh, the time of King David and Solomon, they had all the land that was supposed to be theirs. Uh, and then as the kingdom divides, the enemies start to take it back. So that's what's coming as we go. Let me read it to you. Exodus 23. I'm going to read out of the NIV's 33 verses. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge. And do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twist the words of the righteous. Do not oppress an alien. You yourselves know how it feels to be aliens because you were aliens in Egypt. For six years you were to sow your fields and harvest the crops. But during the seventh year... Let the land lie unplowed and unused. Then the poor among your people may get food from it, and the wild animals may eat what they leave. Do the same with your vineyard and your olive grove. Six days do your work, but on the seventh day do not work, so that your ox and your donkey may rest, and the slave born in your household and the alien as well may be refreshed. Be careful to do everything I have said to you. Do not invoke the names of other gods. Do not let them be heard on your lips. Three times a year you are to celebrate a festival to me. Celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
for seven days. Eat bread without yeast, as I commanded you. Do this at the appointed time in the month of Abib. For in that month you came out of Egypt. No one is to appear before me empty-handed. Celebrate the feast of a harvest with the first fruits of the crops you sow in your field. Celebrate the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in your crops from the field. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Do not offer the blood of a sacrifice to me along with anything containing yeast. The fat of my festival offerings must not be kept until morning. Bring the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him and listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites, and I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their gods or worship them or follow their practices. You must demolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God and His blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you and none will miscarry be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites, Hittites out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little I will drive them out before you until you have creased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. Blessed be the word of the Lord. You'll see too that um, as we continue on in our journey through the Old Testament, the Israelites do almost everything they're not supposed to do. I mean, almost like they were like, yeah, okay, we're going to do the opposite. Um, But it's a picture of sin, right? And what we do. And, you know, a lot of times when people read these things and they read about the God of the Old Testament, they come up with this conclusion that the God of the Old Testament is really kind of angry and uptight. And Jesus, you know, New Testament's all kind and forgiving. And sort of, you know, that Jesus kind of somehow calms God down. Um, that, that's what happens. You know, he's got to remind him how much he loves us. But the, the reality is it's a, it's a difference. Um, Jesus... Is, is almost always addressing the individual. And in the Old Testament, God is addressing a culture. And He has to put in place boundaries and regulation because without them, the people aren't going to make it. And so, because God loves people, He's setting this thing up in the way it looks. Because there's, there's, there's you know, there's, if do this or this is going to happen. There's, there's consequences to bad actions. And people think, well, He's a big meanie. He's not. He's, he's addressing an entire community, a whole culture, and he has to put these things in place because he loves them all. And if they would obey and do what he's instructed them to do, it would be an amazing thing for that to happen. And, and, um, and so you just need to see that that's kind of the difference when you, when you look at the difference between what's happening in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So let me just uh, talk about it a little bit on this side. Um, 
the first few verses there are a reminder for us to speak the truth. Even if everyone else is moving in the other direction, the crowd is going another way, we still need to be truth tellers. Um, and we've talked about that quite a bit. And it was important for them, too. They were to do it. I liked uh, verses 4 and 5. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, you're supposed to grab it and take it back, which seems pretty normal, you know what I mean? But maybe you're busy, and, but still you're supposed to take it back. And then I like this too. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you falling down under its load, don't leave it there. You're supposed to help him with it. Because, you know, the tendency would be like, there you go. That guy hates me. Now look at his donkey. <laughs> um, and yet a heart of mercy not only rescues the animal, um, but I think deeper this is looking, talking about the possibility for the restoration between people. And so if somebody has something against you and there's an opportunity for you to bless them, even though you know that, perhaps you can move into that situation. See, it's a bigger, it's a bigger dynamic. And like, I think it's helpful when we think about this, even that verse, I think it's helpful to think about, you know, somebody has something against us rather than automatically have something against them. It's a great sort of opportunity for us to pray for them and, and just kind of take it to the Lord. You know, what, a, what an awesome thing. It's like, you, you know, that if we see someone who's under a burden and whatever, and for whatever reason they've, we've become part of the problem that they have, um, rather than just do what everybody else does, which is kind of put it, we, we pray for them. You know, we, we, uh, we're, Jesus told us, you know, don't curse those that, that persecute you, but, but pray for them. And, and so we, it's like a, when we pray for someone, we're kind of helping to lift the burden off of them, if you would. And maybe, you know, things can happen. So the principle here is bigger than just, you know, if somebody, you know, you see a, a, a donkey, then the person hates you, then you can go, well, that serves them right. It begins to turn things around a little bit. Um, have nothing to do with a false charge. Uh, oh, there's something interesting here. Do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will, he says, he will not acquit the guilty. And, and so speaking of society as a whole, God says he won't justify the wicked. But good news for us, fortunately, is that when he's speaking to individuals in Romans 4, it says that God is the one who justifies the ungodly, which is good news because we're all the wicked ones, right? We've all sinned. So if he never acquit the wicked, we'd, we'd have a... But he's talking in a corporate sense. In the community, he's not going to put up with it. But he does, in effect, justify all you know, who accept Jesus. That's really, really good news. Uh, what else did I say I thought was important? The importance, again, it says don't oppress an alien. Um, strangers. We're, we're not just supposed to automatically oppress and dislike strangers because they're different than we are. Uh, and that's very, very important. Even in today's culture, we're, we are... Um, God says that that shouldn't happen because we've all, we were we were his people back then were strangers in Egypt and at some level now as citizens of heaven we're strangers here so we should be you know very open to people uh, and and uh, give them a lot of room to ultimately come and know Jesus for me that's the thing you know uh, we always want to have opportunities to tell people about Jesus and. Um, so when, when people come, um, if we love them and treat them well, I think we get those opportunities. And then I think that's a win. Then he introduces that whole idea of um, six years they work, and then they actually let the land rest for a year. It was good for the land. It was good for the animals that worked the land. It was good for everything. Poor people, 
could come um, because even though they hadn't, uh, they weren't plowing and doing all the things they would normally do, food would grow still anyway in that land at some level. It just wouldn't, not the big produce. And people could come and get that. And that was all part of the deal. And, and again, he emphasizes in verse 12 the idea of taking a Sabbath. Um, and this time he includes um, their animals and their, their servants and stuff. Everybody was supposed to get a break on the seventh day. And that's another picture of God's love to us. Those things are because he cares for us. Um, he wants us to experience rest in our lives. Um, Jesus said, you know, come to me and I, I will give you rest. And that was still, that's the heart of God the Father, too. That that's where we actually find rest. Uh, and then he says, be careful to do everything I've said to you. Don't start invoking the names of other little g-gods. And that's, unfortunately, exactly what the people are going to do over time. He then sets in place some of the festivals. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. Um, the Feast of Harvest, or first fruits, And the Feast of the Ingathering. And so, in effect, he's talking about Passover in the spring, um, uh, the uh, Feast of Harvest, or, or Pentecost. Most of you heard about 50 days ever passed over in the Feast of the Ingathering, which is the Feast of Tabernacles. If you get a chance, read Leviticus 23 and the seven feasts. They're actually talking about this in the men's group. All introduced there that they're to observe every year in the process. He tells them to bring... Um, but when they come, they're not to come empty-handed. They bring the best of the first fruits uh, as an offering to the Lord. That first fruit idea, the tenth, uh, um, what he'd given them, he was to bring to the Lord. They were to bring to the Lord. Then this is weird too. I wanted to talk about it. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Doesn't it seem like a weird thing in the middle of nowhere? Like, that's how it seemed to me. Like just reading along, yeah, that's good. Okay, that makes sense. And then, really, that's weird. And. Um, Here's why. Um, it was connected to the idea of Passover we were just talking about. There were fertility rites that they would have been a part of perhaps in Egypt where um, the, the whole idea of that whole thing with, with um, the, the milk of a goat would be used to cook the meat of a kid or a calf. And um, it, it had some sort of context of appeasing a fertility god in the process. And so he's once again reminding them to separate themselves from that mess. And, and so it's a picture of that. Just anything that resembled pagan practices, they were to be avoiding. And then 2021, that angel he sends, um, is those, th those appearances uh, of pre-incarnate Jesus are, are known as Christophanies. And there's some places where they happen. Um, uh, it, it, he didn't take on flesh. But he's existed always, right, Jesus? And in this case, that's because he can, um, when you read that scripture, um, not only is the, the big end name of God in him, which we know is Jesus, he also can forgive them, which we also know is in Jesus. So the, it's an appearance of Jesus who will lead them at that point in time. And he's going to go ahead of them and help them in the process. If they obey his voice, still the same thing today. If we listen to him, he leads us in the right direction. And um, so he can bless us in the process. Verse 25, worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. Um, it's sort of a blessing for the land. In effect, he's saying, trust me and I'll drive out your enemies. Um, but he says, I like this too, I'll do it in a way you never imagined. And, and God operates that way. We need to be aware of that. He operates in ways we can't 
we come up with lots of ways that we think God should do things, but his ways are always different than what we think so that we know it's God. And so you know how he said he's going to drive these people out of the land? Hornets. Now some people think he's talking about raising up the Assyrian army and they're calling them hornets. I think he just said, I'm going to use hornets. <laughs> and, and because he's God and he could. And he could bring in a bunch of hornets and drive people out of the land. It's going to be how he gets them moving. Hornets. And does that not amaze you at God? What are you, how are you going to do it, God? You, could, you got hail. <laughs> you got tornadoes. You got earthquakes. You got fire from heaven. Right? We just saw a bunch of the other plagues he did. Now I'm going to send hornets this time. You'll know it's me. How cool is that? I just think it's cool. Not that I would like that, but I mean... Never mind. And then he says, too, he says, listen, I'm not going to do it as quick as you think. Because if you, it, uh, for me, if I, like he said, he, here's the land I promised you. Go ahead. Part of me would like, okay, go ahead, send the hornets, get them all out. He said, well, I can't do it like that. Because if I clear the whole thing and you're not ready to take it over yet, what's going to happen is other people are going to come in or it's going to get overrun or it's not going to get taken care of and all the vineyards and stuff that are in there already that I want you to have, no one will tend to and it'll all go to waste and the buildings go to waste. So I'm going to do it a little bit at a time so that you can come in and take it over as you're supposed to. And he said, so you'll see me and I'll, I'm going to send some hornets in and we're going to go over and take this area and we'll have a little battle or whatever and in you go. And initially it might have just been the hornets. Joshua has to go do the battles because they didn't obey. I think if they would just said yes to everything he said and walked in. When those giants were there, and they decide not to go, I think they could have just said, okay, we're going. Walked in, the hornets would have taken care of the whole deal. Who knows? We don't know. But he said that's what he was going to do. And they didn't listen, so it didn't happen that way. So they had to go with battles, which he takes care of as well. Um, but but he, they're learning to trust him in the process. And Joshua will have to learn to trust him. We're going to see all that too. And even Joshua messes up like we all do. Uh, and then the borders, he sets there, from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the desert to the river, and uh, he said, I'm going to do something really big. This is the best land here. It's all yours. We're going to go in and take it. Um, but, you know, you better watch me. And when they don't, it throws a monkey into the wrench. No, a wrench into the works. And uh, I, I cost my idioms. <laughs> so anyway, you get the idea. But that's enough. Um, neat stuff. We'll get into 24 chapter next week. If you're watching my video and you're having trouble seeing me, sorry, the lights aren't right but they'll be better next week. We'll see you soon. Good night.